the whole point of doing anything in your congregation is to have some kind of impact on somebody's life, right? Evaluation is the moment where you get to see that born out. Welcome to the Center for Congregations podcast. This is a conversation for anyone invested in sustaining and strengthening their faith communities. The Center for Congregations is an Indiana nonprofit that exists because we believe the work of your congregation is essential. Our mission is to strengthen your congregation, helping you find the right information or expertise for your congregation's needs. We're able to do this work because of the generosity of the Lilly Endowment. Welcome back, everyone. Come one, come all to another episode of the Center for Congregations podcast. We have the privilege and great honor of being joined this morning by a phenomenal guest, colleague, and friend. Our Associate Director of Evaluation, Kelly Minaz, is here today. Welcome, Kelly. Thank you. And as always, I am Ben Tapper, an Associate for Resource Consulting here out of our Indianapolis office. And I'm joined by the incomparable Matt Burke, who is our Education Director and Northeast Director out of Fort Wayne. Hey, Matt. Hey, I think we've had this conversation before, Ben, that I I actually can be compared. (laughs) That's what you say. I have yet to see that proven. So until proven otherwise. (laughs) Okay. Well, that's fair. Appreciate that. Compared, but never equaled. (laughs) Right. (laughs) You're incomparable. Uh, And today we are here to talk about the joys of evaluation, which I know, I know our audience is like on the edge of their seats, just really super excited and jazzed about this topic. And you have every right to be because it's an exciting topic. But I'd like to kick us off by asking Kelly, as you think about evaluation, this is what you do day in and day out. Where does this often come up specifically as it relates to congregations that you work with? I'd say it's pretty common for congregations to find themselves at the conclusion of a program that they've run or an initiative that they've started. It could be something like they've done some programming for young adults in their congregation. They've been trying to build relationships with them. Did that work? This is the question that they're left with. And this is evaluation's time to step in and explore that, ask some questions hopefully find some answers, and most importantly, let some program leaders make some decisions about what to do next. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That makes total sense given the work and your scope of work here at the center. I imagine, Matt, this might play out differently for you, or I could be imagining incorrectly. So how does evaluation come up in your work as the education director and as a resource consultant? Yeah, I don't get the question so much in those terms, at least in the experiences I've had with working with congregations in Northeast Indiana. Of course, there are some that have those questions, but probably for me, it more comes up with social media, internet usage. Hmm. People are talking analytics and data, especially post-pandemic. Now that everybody's online, they're curious about how impactful their programs are online. So a lot of questions around how do we measure it? And so it's interesting because you'll get into a conversation and in some of our education events, you'll get into the ways that you do that and you can almost see the eyes glaze (laughs) because (laughs) it seems so overwhelming and crazy, which one of the reasons why we wanted to do this podcast episode, because it can be very intimidating. And I think that's one of the things that a lot of congregations, they're interested in evaluation, but they find it very, very intimidating to undertake that journey. I feel kind of live out here. I mean, 
maybe it's because of how frequently my eyes glaze over, but people just aren't coming to me and asking about evaluation. I'm, I need to know what's, what's going on and why am I not getting these calls, folks? Maybe they just know you really well, Ben. <laughs> maybe. Maybe I'm just asking really leading questions. I know you called to talk to me about something else, but have you heard about evaluation? They call the office and say they have an evaluation question, and they're like, but can we please have somebody other than Ben Tapper? Right. <laughs> Ben's available. Uh, you know, I'll call back later. <laughs> the one area of my work that I do think about evaluation some is related to our major grant initiatives, you know, like our engaging young adults or formative grants that we've done. And there's, you know, constant conversations about, okay, we just did this program for engaging young adults or for formative. Did it work? How did the congregation members receive it? Was it actually useful for them? And so in terms of like our internal dialogue, that's where I am thinking about evaluation semi-frequently, not nearly as much as you are, Kelly, but that's at least where it kind of seeps over into my purview, I would say. If we could just dive a little bit deeper into what this means in your experience, Matt, and maybe you'll have thoughts on this too, Kelly, as it relates to like social media and internet usage. I say we just did Connect Through Tech. It's probably been a year or so now since we've done that, but it feels like it was last week and congregations are still adapting to this new hybrid era that we're living in. And so I'm wondering, as you fielded these calls, Matt, what does it mean for folks to be thinking about evaluation and assessment as it relates to like social media use and virtual learning and programming? Yeah, it's a good question. I think part of it is just the bare numbers of who's out there. I'm hearing that it's very common for only maybe 20 to 50% of the congregation to be back physically present. But at the same time, there are quite a few people who are engaged online. And so I think some congregations are trying to understand what's the value of that online engagement? Are people just tuning in and just kind of like multitasking while they're half listening or they actually really engage with what's going on? So I think that they're seeing the bare numbers of who's attending, but I think they're curious as to what the quality of that experience is and what impact it's having, which I think is a very important and very good question to be asking. Kelly, do you have thoughts on that? Well, this is a great evaluation marriage moment where quantitative data and qualitative data are having an interaction with each other, or there's an opportunity for them to have an interaction with each other. Because it's reasonably easy to know how many people are watching your live stream or how many people are coming to your Zoom small groups. So you have that data, but you don't know the full story about that data. You really need to now learn some qualitative information from the people who are doing that engagement. You know, what's motivating them, what they're gaining from it, what they wish were different about this virtual setup. And it's time for those old-fashioned analog evaluation techniques of call somebody up, have a focus group, do a survey. But this is a prime example of the need to have quantitative and qualitative data in conversation with each other. Nice. And I saw Ben's eyes. As soon as you said quality, his eyes just glazed. They just went blank. So could you, for, for Ben's sake, could you define qualitative and quantitative? I would love to define qualitative and quantitative. So quantitative data generally is anything that you can count. So the number of people, the number of dollars. We also sometimes use that expression to describe how we look at survey results because you can count survey responses if it's a multiple choice. Fairly easy to count. Qualitative data usually involves asking someone a question that goes beyond yes or no or choose from this list of things. So did you enjoy this event? Was this beneficial to you? If yes, 
Why? If no, why not? That is sort of the beginning phase of qualitative data. And it can get really rich. I mean, down to full-on storytelling. That's a kind of qualitative data, too. It's all about those conversations. That's really helpful. Thank you very much. And I think this has served as like a beautiful teaser to the main interview itself. And so, again, if you've heard this first eight minutes of our interview and been like, oh, man, I got to know more, you're in luck. We have uh, another 30 or so minutes of conversations with Kelly. So stay tuned for the main part of our interview. All right, so Kelly, now we're going to turn the corner and talk about specifically your kind of expertise and knowledge around the idea of data and analytics. So this is kind of the, quote, interview portion of typically what we do. You game? Always games talk about evaluation. Sweet. So just at a high level, what is so important about evaluation? I think some people kind of think it's a no-brainer, but I think other people might question why we do evaluation at all, because sometimes evaluation seems like it can get mired down. This is not uncommon for conversations about evaluation. My observation is that there are two camps. There are people for whom evaluation is a no-brainer, and they say, we can't do a program and not evaluate it, or evaluation is natural. We're doing it already. Most of the time, as an evaluator, though, I'm talking to the other camp of people, which is more likely to be someone who sort of When they hear evaluation, they hear assessment, they hear judgment, and it sort of accesses this primal animal thing in our brain. And you have a sort of flashback to like fifth grade you, and you got a B on your report card, and you realized you were never really going to go to Stanford. Maybe this is a personal experience, but it accesses that kind of fear and worry response, and it comes really from a fear of being judged. So I think it's right to acknowledge that there are two parties, but more often when we're having these evaluation conversations, we're talking to these people who say, I don't really want to do that. I don't really, you know, my program's over. We've done what we want to do. It was good enough or it was not good enough. We're never going to do it again. Can't we just leave it there? But evaluation is useful for a couple of reasons, and not all of the reasons are related to knowing exactly what happened in your program. One reason in an organization like a congregation that it can be important to do evaluation is that it demonstrates to the people who participated in your program that you're interested in how they felt about it. Sometimes when we participate in programs, we go through the course or we go through the experience and then that's kind of it. Our feedback is not invited or maybe we have something to say about it. We don't know who to say it to. Having a formal evaluation And formal doesn't have to mean fancy. It just means like we're strategically doing it as an organization. Asking for that feedback is a relationship building thing. It is demonstrating to the people who participated in your program or your event or whatever your thing was that you care about what they thought about it. And it invites not only conversations about that program, but conversations about all kinds of things. You know, sometimes you can get good ideas for new things to do as a result of having these quote unquote evaluation conversations. So if you can approach it without fear and just get started, that's really that's the key. For congregations that might be smaller, I'm thinking particularly about small congregations of color, you know, that might not 
be used to thinking or doing evaluation and they don't have someone like on staff or a member of the congregation that is an expert in evaluation, how do they get started? Like what are the first steps of doing successful evaluation? So the thing to remember, I think, about evaluation is that you're doing it already. Whatever you have done in your congregation, you have a feeling about that. You feel like that went well, or you feel like, oh boy, that was a mess. Or you feel like, well, that wasn't bad, but it really wasn't what I expected. And that thought, that sense, that intuition is already evaluation. The next step is to say, well, how do I find out more about that from someone who could give me feedback about that intuition? And so I think we tend to feel like evaluation looks like research And I have a lot to say about how evaluation and research are not the same thing. But we feel like it has to look like a survey or it has to look like a formal focus group. You have to have an interview protocol. And that's really not true. A good entryway into evaluation is just to say, I'm going to invite someone to have a conversation with me about this. Debriefing is evaluation. Just gathering a group of people together and discussing what happened and I think, importantly, making a note of that and memorializing it in some way so that you can reflect on it and share it with other people in your organization, that is evaluation. It does not have to rise to the level of surveys, focus groups, formal structured interviews. So probably in these congregations like you're describing, this is happening already. It's just not called that. I really love the way that you framed that, Kelly, because evaluation is still fairly new to me. You know, I think I said to you a couple weeks ago, oh my God, I finally understand what you do here. Like it makes so much more sense now. Um, I knew you were doing great work. I just couldn't quite conceptualize what it all entailed. And so to hear you say that congregations are already doing it, right? That debriefing is evaluation. That I think offers some sort of kind of concrete first step and maybe a bit of ease and release for those that know it might be important, that would love to formalize it more, but feel overwhelmed by how to start or at where to start. And so hearing you say, as a professional evaluator, you know, hearing you say, hey, if you're debriefing, if you've got a gut feeling, if you've got an intuition, guess what? You're already doing the work. That's so nice to hear. Yeah. If you can have a conversation, you can do evaluation. It's just another great one-liner from Kelly Manaz. I think it also illustrates the importance of trying to get outside feedback because the evaluation that we get, sometimes our gut instinct is absolutely correct, but sometimes it's absolutely wrong. And where you might think something went horribly wrong, others who experienced it may think that it was one of the greatest things ever. And so making sure that you are paying attention to the audience, the the recipients of whatever it is that you're doing, because while, of course, we can self-identify places where we can improve, we're not necessarily the final judges of the worth or value of what has been done. Mm-hmm. And in evaluation, we often conceptualize sort of what you're talking about as an unintended outcome. You know, we start programs or activities with a picture of what we would like to happen. Sometimes that does happen. Sometimes something else happens. And just because something other than what you pictured happened doesn't mean that it's bad or that you have failed. But if something unintended or surprising has occurred, it's really important to talk to the people who were involved and find out what their perception of it was, in what ways it may have benefited them, so that if you want to, you can recreate it. Because if you designed your program to do something else, you may not know exactly what the recipe is that's going to lead you to be able to do that again. And a difficult thing in evaluation can be to get that candid feedback 
especially depending, you know, if you're doing the evaluation in your own congregation, what your position in the congregation is. If you are, for example, a lead clergy person doing evaluation, you're fairly likely to hear people saying, oh, the program was great. We loved it. I mean, maybe you're in a congregation where people just want to complain to you. I can't speak for your own personal leadership experience, but that's something that I experience in my work often is, oh, your program was super. Thanks for the opportunity. And getting past that can be a challenge. It's not uncommon for me to say, well, okay, so if you were, I'm just saying, going to say something mean about our program, what would it be? Right? You really have to sort of explicitly open the door to people sometimes to invite that sort of critical feedback, but it's really important. It's really important to get it where you can. I would imagine to Ben's point of smaller congregations that it's finding those people who aren't afraid to speak their minds and maybe not someone who is consistently negative, but I had a friend in college, Marcus Duff, shout out to my boy Marcus, that I lived with him after I came back from Japan and he was just a straight shooter. Like he pulled no punches. And sometimes we get into a little bit of conflict over that, but I learned to really value him because he wasn't being mean. He was just truly speaking his thoughts on the matter. And it made me realize the value of having someone like that in your life who is a friend and is invested in you. So there are people in your congregation that are invested in your congregation, but they're not afraid to speak the truth as they see it. And so cultivating those relationships and allowing those voices room to speak can be really, really valuable. You know, to the points y'all are making, I think it can be really beneficial for clergy leaders to outsource some of this evaluation, to outsource some of this debriefing, right? Like, it may not be the case that people will be able to give you all their candid feedback, but I bet you know who the people in your congregation are that can pull that out of others, right? And so you might need to tap some folks on the shoulder to solicit that for you, and then you can kind of feed it back into the system. It's a great activity for your local gossip. But in all seriousness, like that is the sort of person that is well suited to evaluation. You know, someone who will, you know, just strike up a conversation with anyone, someone who's a good listener, obviously. And I think most importantly, someone that people feel like they can be vulnerable with, you know, a non judgmental party. Absolutely. Do you have a strong opinion on qualitative versus quantitative feedback? Is it more important to try to capture the hard numbers of a program or the kind of values and feelings that were elicited from the program? I think they're both really important. And my own practice often is actually to start with the quantitative, just because it can be a little bit quicker and sometimes more rewarding to start counting things that you can count. You know, how many people attended, how many people came to an event and then came to another one, how many people signed up for whatever. There are lots of things that are easy to count. Things around money, obviously, are also easy to count. But then a useful way to use that data is actually sometimes then to feed it back into your qualitative process. So I will often start with a big survey. You know, I'll survey 100 people. And then you can analyze that data, slice and dice however you like. And then you can take that data to an interview or a focus group or a debriefing conversation. And sometimes I'll say, well, here's what our survey data said. What's your interpretation of that? And, you know, a focus group's interpretation of that data is not necessarily what you want to include in your final evaluation, but their take on it can lead the conversation to a really useful place. And sometimes they can shed light on something that you can't see in that data. 
So it can be a useful way of incorporating that quantitative data, not only as its own data set, but also as a launching point for qualitative data. Yeah, that makes sense. And I'm hearing us talk about data. For those that have not been spying on our internal meetings, there's this kind of running joke, especially between Matt and I, that anytime you get deep into the weeds on any topic, I will check out. And it's really instantaneous immediate. You can see it on my face. I'm just in another world completely, right? And so as we're talking about data, I'm imagining those people that aren't data wonks, they might be like, okay, now they've lost me. And I'm wondering if we can bring it back to a question that maybe we'll end up opening the interview with. But Kelly, why is evaluation exciting? I don't know if people understand the things that make it exciting. I know you do. So can you articulate what makes evaluation so exciting? Why is evaluation exciting? Why is it not exciting? I know that I'm biased toward this because you know, it's my job. But I think it's exciting because you get to see the impact of your program from someone who has participated in it, from someone who didn't run it. Not to say those voices aren't important, but the whole point of doing anything in your congregation is to have some kind of impact on somebody's life, right? Evaluation is the moment where you get to see that borne out. And you get to hear the most surprising and interesting and amazing stories that you might not hear if you weren't strategically asking for them. And approaching it with some kind of strategy, with the sort of intentionality of evaluation, is really a great relationship building tool. You know, it's not just about your program. It's about building relationships with people who are involved in your congregation or involved in your organization. And that human element. It's really not about data. Sorry for the data nerds out there, but it's really not about that. It's about strategically hearing stories Hmm. from people who have been impacted or touched by something that you've done. As a data nerd, how dare you? Defended. (laughs) Oh, no. How dare you? How very dare I? (laughs) Well, just an argument on the side of data, if I may, for a moment. Um, (laughs) It's predictive character is pretty helpful sometimes. For instance, and it's amazing how with our free online education events, we have about a 35 to 40% no-show rate, which means that out of the people that who sign up, about 35 to 40% don't show. And that is a consistent metric. And so it enables us to then adjust how we do the registration process knowing that. And I would imagine for congregations as well. And Kelly, by the way, I mean, I'm not saying you're against any of this. So <laughs> don't, I'm not arguing necessarily with you, but just throwing some other pieces out there about how evaluation can be helpful and important. There's that element to it. And I would imagine that the seasonality of giving patterns is probably something that is measurable and evaluative. And therefore, you can make predictions and adjustments based on that kind of thing. So definitely elements there as well. Of course, you know, it's that data is informative, but I'm sticking with my original premise that what we are hearing from that data is not just here's how many people are not going to show up, right? That data is a decision making data that goes beyond just how many seats we open for events, right? And that data goes beyond just how are we going to time our giving requests. There is something about the life of our programs that's in there, right? Like how many people are we going to expect to touch? Knowing that, how are we going to change our offerings or the timings of our offerings? Or, you know, how are we going to prepare our staff, right? It's not just, well, here's the data. I'm going to make just one decision based off of that. The reach of any particular piece of data is involved in the whole story of everything that we do. And I think that people... Mm -hmm 
can get hung up on, well, I have the data. I know this one point. We have concluded this evaluation or we have concluded this piece of the evaluation. But if you're not seeing how your data is in conversation with everything else that you're learning about what you're doing, it's not going to be as rich and meaningful as it could be if you took the time to do other kinds of listening. Yeah, that's a great point. Yeah, because I think you're right that sometimes people come at it from the standpoint that, you know, an evaluation is going to provide you with one clear answer (laughs) by which you can then make one clear decision. I'm not the evaluator you are, but I would imagine that that's typically not how it works out. No, almost never. I mean, evaluation is different from research in the sense that the only objective of evaluation most of the time is to allow you to make a decision about what to do next, or whether some particular thing that you did was effective, right? Research has different aims. Research is trying to find a more universal truth. It's trying to contribute to the landscape of the academy, right? Evaluation is only meaningful insofar as it's meaningful to the stakeholders in your organization or the people that your organization touches. If you're learning things or gathering data that don't serve you, you're really wasting your time. And I see this a lot. Sorry, this is a little bit of a tangent. But I see this a lot in people who are designing their own evaluations, like people who are writing a survey for the first time. It's very common to see them including questions that they don't care about the answers to because they've seen them on other surveys. You know, you have this feeling of every time I take a survey, it asks me for my age range. So I better include that on my survey. But you've got to pause when you're doing this and say, what is the point of me knowing this information? Maybe that information is important to you, but if you can't quickly figure out why you're asking this question, you probably don't need to do it. And I think this is a barrier to evaluation is that people ask questions that they don't need the answers to, and then they get the answers and they don't know what to do with them. And then you think, what was the point of this? I've just wasted a lot of time and energy and resources asking these questions, and they've informed me not at all. So the most essential, really, truly, the most essential thing in evaluation is to determine what it is you're trying to figure out, because it's frustrating if you haven't made that clear to yourself. Does this happen for anyone else? At about the fifth time I hear the word data, I start thinking of Star Trek. Am I the only one that goes there? Yes. Okay. (laughs) Not surprising. (laughs) Played beautifully by Brent Spiner, one of my favorite actors. (laughs) But in all seriousness, I really like the point that you just made because it's not so much about capturing everything that you can capture. It's about thinking strategically about what do we actually want to know and need to know? And then what's the fastest way to get there? And again, right, when you are kind of just wading into the waters of evaluation, that might help take some of the burden off so you're not freaking out about if you're doing it right or if you're trying to do too much, you can just kind of succinctly ask the questions that need to be asked by whomever needs to ask them and then move forward. So it's just a good reminder to me for those that are just wading into those waters about how to frame this work for themselves and their congregations. Well, an important thing that precedes even figuring out what questions you need to ask are figuring out what you were trying to do in the first place. I see this a lot that people, you know, we call it program theory, just like a very fancy way of saying, what are you trying to do here? And sometimes people are not very clear on what it is they're trying to accomplish. 
and then they go to try to measure something and they're not sure what they're trying to measure. And we get into this horrible feedback loop of uncertainty and lack of clarity. And then everyone just panics and goes home because it's too much to deal with. So actually, it starts with asking a question of yourself, which is, what were we trying to do here? Mm-hmm. What outcome did we want to see? What were we hoping the story of this was going to be? But it's easy to bypass because you have your own mental model, right? And sometimes you don't have to explain it to anybody because it's your thing. It's your program and it's in your mind. And that's good enough. But when you get to the evaluation stage, you kind of have to be able to articulate what you were trying to do. Well, and I would imagine, correct me if I'm wrong, but this takes a lot of pressure off and provides an opportunity sometimes to maybe even only ask one or two questions. Like if you have an event that is specifically about just bringing families together so that they have a good time. So you ask them two questions. Did you have a good time? And would you come again? And so if you get a pretty resounding positive response to both of those questions, hey, you've got a good program. That is such a good example. Yes. If what you're interested in after your family event was, did they have a good time? Will they come back? There's probably, I'm hearing like maybe a subsidiary question of, did you have a good time? If yes, why? If no, why not? But that's probably plenty. But people look at that and they think, well, that's not, that's not an instrument, but it really is. That is plenty of an instrument. And that may be all you want to know or all you can deal with knowing. I don't think there's any shame in saying there might be other things out there that I could know, but we're really not prepared to make a decision based on that. This is really the most important question. And just hone in on that. And yes, I would expect that that would alleviate the pressure. You don't have to know everything there is to know. You just need to know the most critical thing there is to know for you and your program and your leaders. that quote, Kelly. And in the spirit of thinking about what folks really need to know, Matt and I believe in the center believes that resources can be helpful in kind of sorting through that and, and helping kind of put you on the path. And so we like to bring resources for every topic in every episode. And so I'm wondering if there's a resource around evaluation and assessment that you think might be crucial to this conversation that you want to tell folks about today. Well, I've got a couple in mind. The first one, it is a book, but it's a very short one. I don't think there is a person alive who has talked about evaluation and religious congregations and not mentioned Projects That Matter by Kathleen Cahalan. The full title is Projects That Matter, Successful Planning and Evaluation for Religious Organizations. So this is right in the niche. It is really succinct, useful, very specific to the congregational setting, and it has a good focus on collaborative inquiry. So this is sort of that relationship piece that we were talking about before. It's very good for beginner evaluator or a person in a religious congregation who is maybe not very familiar with the premise of evaluation. It's a really good place to start and a very sort of friendly resource. Always here for the friendly resources. So thank you for bringing that. It sounds like it's a good starting point for folks. I have another one. 
Yes, laid on us. For the person out there who's thinking, this sounds great. How do I become an evaluation nerd? I highly recommend betterevaluation.org. Any kind of technique or strategy, method or process that you want to know about is on that website. It's completely free. It's just a bottomless pit of evaluation resources. And you don't have to be an expert to use it. You just need to have an interest in doing the evaluation thing. But it's really all there. It's an encyclopedia. It's fabulous. Just have to have an interest in doing the evaluation thing. That's all you need, folks. Just an interest in that evaluation thing. That's all you need. You can't tell anyone this because then they'll stop paying me to do this job. (laughs) Fair. (laughs) We'll protect those paychecks. (laughs) What do you have today, Matt? So I came across a book called Completing the Circle, Reviewing Ministries in the Congregation by David McMahill. And it was published in 2003, but I think it still appears to be pretty relevant. He talks about how congregations often would borrow from the business world in terms of their evaluation, but it wasn't always necessarily the right fit. And so he just kind of got a burden to create a system or a process by which congregations can review their leadership and their ministries. And so it walks through kind of basic foundations and actually ends with chapters five and six. It goes through a case study from Sand Lake UCC, which I believe was his actual context. So I think this could be an interesting, and again, it's only 92 pages. I think this could be an interesting resource for folks wanting to dive in and just think about how to evaluate their ministries as one potential model among many that could be out there. What about you, Ben? Yeah, thanks for bringing that. You know, I bounced around to a few different ones before landing on an article by Andrew Herbert of Lifeway. And this one was published in 2014. So A little dated, but I think still applicable. It's called How to Shape Your Church's Culture. And it it may seem a little removed from evaluation, but I thought it was important to bring because the culture of our congregations, the culture of our organizations are going to shape the ways in which we're able to evaluate and the things that we evaluate and are looking to evaluate and measure. And so kind of backing up and understanding what our culture is and then how to shape it, change it, or even define organizational culture and then the role of leadership within that culture is very important. And so this article kind of outlines some of those basic tenets of what organizational culture is, the benefits of trying to shape it, and what leadership's role in that shaping can be. So for those that are kind of at a starting place of just understanding the waters they're swimming in in terms of their values and culture, I think this could be a good resource and offer some good data points. So we hope that those resources are helpful for y'all. As always, they'll be in the show notes. So you can check those out there, and most of them will be on the CRG as well. As we wrap up, we want to thank Jaden Lee for helping us all sound good, particularly Matt and I. We've put Jaden through the ringer in terms of audio editing over the last year, year and a half. And so we really appreciate the great work that he does and the encouraging text messages he sends. Those, those mean a lot, man. Keep those up. Agreed. We'd also be remiss if we didn't thank the generosity of the Lilly Endowment, without which we couldn't do the work that we do on this podcast and everything else that the Center for Congregations does. And Kelly, folks know that you are an employee here at the center, but are there any other places people can find you, can read about your work, or just get in touch to learn more about evaluation? You know, I'm sure that I'm not allowed to say this, but you can call me anytime at the Center for Congregations and talk to me about evaluation. Love it. We'll keep it off the books if we have to, but I would love to talk to you about evaluation in your congregation. Hit me up. Am I allowed to say that? Yeah. Absolutely. I'm being very serious. I'm a real evangelist for evaluation. So let me know. I'm here for you. Absolutely. You heard it here, folks. Call Kelly whenever, day or night. (laughs) She won't answer, but she'll return your call. (laughs) 
We also want to encourage you to follow us on Facebook and Instagram. That's the easiest way to keep in touch with new resources that we're putting out, congregational highlights, so you can hear about the good things that are happening, particularly within Indiana congregations, and so you can stay abreast about new education events that are coming up and on-demand learning that's taking place. So follow us at the Center for Congregations on Facebook and Instagram. That way you know everything we've got going on. And we want to give a shout out to Jason Stanley. Jason, our sole inbox supporter. We love Jason. I'm actually going to be hanging out with him this Thursday via Zoom. Uh, looking forward to connecting with him. But we would love to connect with you. So let Jason's email not be the only one in our inbox. So you can email us at podcast at centerforcongregations.org. And we're just curious as to what topics you think you would like to hear us discuss, maybe have an idea for an expert you'd like us to bring on, or any other feedback that you have. We would love to receive that. And please take a moment and leave us a five-star rating and review on iTunes. That is the fastest way for new listeners to find this content and to support the show. So if you like what we're doing, you think other people need to hear about it, know about it, just go on iTunes and leave us a five-star rating and review. And finally, 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 we'd be remiss if we didn't give a big shout out to the one to four people that have been listening to us from Athens, Georgia. We want to thank you. We see those four downloads, and we appreciate you supporting the show. So for those listening in Athens, Georgia, thanks so much. Keep it up. If you've got suggestions, email us at podcast at centerforcongregations.org. And Athens, Georgia, the beginning of the Athens to Atlanta rollerblade event that happens, or at least used to happen annually. I have so many questions. Number one, how do you know about this? <laughs> used to be a rollerblader. Did not know this. My God. Do you God. ever really stop being a rollerblader? You don't. I still got my skates. The recovering rollerblader. Yeah. Yeah, you could put it that way. (laughs) So we might have to dedicate an entire episode to exploring Matt's backstory because I have far more questions than we have time to ask right now. (laughs) As always, thank you all for listening. We appreciate your support and we will be here for the next episode. We hope that you'll join us. I'm Ben Tapper. I'm Kelly Manaz. And I'm Matt Burke. Thanks so much for listening. 